many Australians, superannuation will generally be the second biggest asset they will have outside of the family home when they retire. So, what is superannuation? How does it work? And why is it important? What are the key rules and how can we take advantage of them? In this new podcast series, Simplifying Super, we're aiming to demystify the often complex world of superannuation and retirement. And we'll be drawing on the knowledge of AMP's many experts to do just this. My name's Adam Masters. I'm a content manager here at AMP and your host for Simplifying Super. To be completely honest with you, despite working in this industry, I hadn't really given much thought to my super. When I think about retirement, I picture myself lounging on a yacht somewhere exotic, but I don't really know how much I'll need to save to fund this dream. So I'm on a mission to go back to basics and learn the ins and outs of super so that I can start trying to turn my retirement dream into a reality, or let's be honest, maybe just find a slightly more realistic dream to aim towards. In this podcast series, we'll cover a range of topics, including breaking down the policies and different levers and options within the system, which you can take advantage of. We'll look at investing within super and the fundamental principles you should be aware of. And we'll keep you up to date with policy and regulatory changes to Australia's superannuation and retirement system and how they impact you. In today's podcast, we kick off by asking the fundamental question of what is superannuation? And we're joined by John Perry. John has been in financial services for more than 30 years and is a technical strategy manager at AMP, where he provides technical and legislative updates to the financial planning industry. There's arguably no better mind in Australia on the technical aspects of super, so I know we're in good hands. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. So, John, here is a simple question. What is superannuation? Um, How much time have we got, Adam? (laughs) Uh, It's a really good question because there's a difference between what superannuation is and what it isn't. So that's interesting. What do you mean by what it isn't? Well, super is not just a simple product like a bank account, uh, nor is it a special form of investment or an asset class in itself. Uh, Superannuation at the end of the day is a tax-friendly structure which has been purpose-built to provide an efficient way for Australians to save for their retirement. So super is a structure. Can you define for our listeners what that actually means? Sure, Adam. Um, Think of a structure, in this case a superstructure, as a way of holding assets to save for your retirement. So in simple terms, a superannuation fund is a trust, which is a legal concept that, that some of the listeners will be familiar with. It has a trust deed, which sets out the rules in terms of how it operates, and it has a trustee who holds all the assets and is appointed to run the fund in accordance with the trust law rules and with superannuation law. And it has beneficiaries of the trust, which in simple terms are the super fund members. So what is different about this type of trust for super compared to say other trusts that are out there? Well, Adam, they're very similar in many respects, except in one key area. Um, The federal government has provided specific tax concessions for super to encourage people to use it to save for their retirement. And in return for these concessions, access to super is limited to when individuals retire or reach age 65, although there are circumstances where it can be accessed earlier, such as invalidity. I'll ask about the tax concessions a bit later on, but before we do that, um, could you explain why superannuation, I guess, is important for all Australians? Well, as you mentioned in your introduction, um, super will generally be a person's second largest asset at retirement outside of the family home. 
if they're a homeowner and potentially their largest asset if they don't own a home. So it's important because it provides a disciplined way for Australians to efficiently build a nest egg for their future so they can retire with some dignity and have income to support them rather than having to rely solely on the age pension. That makes sense. So I, I guess I'm wondering who has access to super and you know, ha has it always been compulsory? Well, it's really interesting because super, whilst it's been around for quite a long time, prior to 1992, it wasn't compulsory. Um, back then, it was usually provided through employment for certain individuals. So think large employers, um, state, federal governments, or it was taken up by individuals personally. Uh, a bit of a luck of the draw whether you had super or not back in those days. But um, you know, so some people were, were quite lucky, um, but not everyone was lucky in that space. So why did it fundamentally change in, in 92? Well, Adam, we need to go back to 1987, which seems like it's a long time ago, mm -hmm. uh, to get a better understanding of why things changed effectively from 1992. So in 1987, the then Labor government, uh, through the industrial award system, which employed many people, introduced super to a lot of employees in various industries who previously missed out. And this was done in lieu of a wage rise. Employees received super contributions of up to 3% um, of salary and wages instead. And that was the first time we saw superannuation extended to the masses. And then in 1992, the super guarantee, superannuation guarantee system, as it was known, then became compulsory for all employees. So what was that initial superannuation guarantee, that SG rate back then? It's a really good point because there's a lot of debate about the SG rate at the moment. But back then in 1992, it was set at 3% of salary and wages paid to employees. Um, the government's also set out a schedule, which will see it rise incrementally to 12% by July 2024. It's currently 9.5% per annum. It's due to rise to 10% uh, per annum from 1 July. So does compulsory super apply to all employees? Most employees will have access to compulsory super, though there are some exclusions permitted, such as exempting employees who earn less than $450 in a month. And I guess what happens if an employer does not pay the compulsory SG contribution? Well, employers are required to pay their, their SG contributions on a regular basis, and that's effectively each quarter. And, and they effectively are required to self-assess. That's just basically mean that they've done it and they, they tick a box to say they've done that. If they fail to meet their obligations, then they may be liable for what's called an SG charge, uh, which will require the, the employer to pay the ATO the missed super contributions, plus an admin charge per affected employee and a set interest rate to compensate for the earnings that have been missed out. That missed contributions plus interests are then paid from the ATO to the affected employees fund once the process is completed. Okay, so what about self-employed people and those of us who are running their own businesses? Are they covered by compulsory super? Well, self-employed persons are not subject to compulsory super and will need to make their own provision. Now, the government does offer tax concessions as an incentive for self-employed persons to use their super to save for their retirement. Now, for people running their business, say through a company or trust structure, whilst they might consider themselves to be self-employed, they're also employees of that business and hence will be picked up through the compulsory super system. So let's move on to the tax concessions that are offered in super. Um, John, can you explain what they are and how they actually work? Uh, yes, Adam. There are effectively three different levels of tax concessions offered in super. And I must state up front that they offer a number of tax advantages compared to investing outside super. 
uh, if we can start with earnings in super whilst the money is accumulating, well, those earnings are taxed at a maximum rate of 15% on income and 10% on capital gains. Now, for many Australians, this is a lower tax rate than their marginal tax rate, which on average is 32.5% and can be as high as 45%, plus add Medicare levy there as well. So secondly, when a person retires and takes their super as regular income payments through using an income stream, the tax rate on those investment earnings in the income stream reduces to nil. There's no tax at all. And this is the case where the amount in the income stream does not initially exceed a limit of 1.6 million. And, and thirdly, there's no tax payable on super withdrawals and or income stream payments if you're aged 60 or over. Okay, and what about the tax concessions on contributions? Yes, th there, there are a range of tax concessions provided for some contributions into super. Firstly, employer contributions paid into super as required under the compulsory super rules are not taxed as wage or salary. They are made in pre-tax dollars and subject to a tax of 15% on entry into the fund or 30% if you earn more than 250,000. And this is often much lower than a person's marginal tax rate if they received the super amount as after-tax salary and chose to invest outside super. So for example, someone earning 60,000 is on the 32.5% marginal tax rate plus the 2% Medicare. So say for $1,000 of compulsory super contributions, 85% of this amount or $850 will work for them in their super towards their retirement compared to uh, say 65.5% or $655, which they would receive after tax if received a salary, which they would then look to invest outside. And if you then factor in the investing of that 850 in, a, in, in super in an environment where the tax on investment earnings doesn't exceed 15%, compared to investing the 655 outside super where the tax on investment earnings is up to 30.4.5% including Medicare, then you can start to see why super is the preferred structure to invest for retirement. Makes sense. Uh, I guess, John, final topic for today. Could you please outline and I guess briefly describe the type of super funds that are available at present? Sure, Adam. Um, let me just start by saying that there are two different types of super funds. Uh, one's referred to as a defined benefit fund and the more common one is actually the accumulation fund and that's something that our listeners would be more familiar with. In an accumulation fund, the account balance grows or accumulates over time. Uh, this growth will depend on the contributions made, either individually or by an employer, and the investment return generated by the fund. In a defined benefit fund, the retirement benefit is determined by a formula instead of being based on investment return. Um, that formula is usually based on salary, years of service, uh, and there's a, there's a threshold they use for this. There are usually some corporate or public sector funds but many are now closed to new members. So most members will be in what's called the accumulation fund. There are also different categories of super funds. Um, I know such as industry super funds, there's retail super funds, public sector funds, corporate funds, and, and the self-managed super funds. Um, so again, I guess, can you briefly define what they actually are and how they're different? When you set it out like that, there sure are a lot of different categories, Adam. <laughs> Let's briefly cover each of them. So. Retail super funds are usually run by banks or investment companies. They, offer ha they often have a wide range of investment options and they're open to anyone to join them. Industry super funds, and a lot of listeners will be familiar with those, are generally also open to anyone but the, and were originally set up to cater for persons in certain industries. 
e.g. health, retail, uh, industries like that. Public sector funds are usually for government employees. They, they normally have a modest range of investment choices and newer members are usually in the accumulation fund and some long-termers might be in the, the defined benefit section. Uh, a corporate super fund is a fund arranged by an employer for their employees. They may be operated by retail or industry fund but are only available to that company's employees. And finally, um, a self-managed super fund, which is effectively a private super fund that is managed by the fund members, um, no more than four at this stage, um, who are both the trustee of the fund and the beneficiaries of the fund. They choose the investments and insurance as it suits their investment strategy. And you know, for many, having control over their own super is appealing, but it does come with a lot of work. Mm, yeah, that's a pretty important point. John, thank you for your time today. It's really been great to speak with you. For our listeners, if you'd like further information, please visit amp.com.au forward slash super. And remember, it's always important to consider getting expert advice before making any financial decisions.